Hello, Freedom Fighters. Thank you for listening. This audio interview is brought to you by Open World Magazine, the ultimate guide for pursuing a life of adventure and passion and setting up a location-independent business that can support your dream lifestyle. Go check us out at openworldmag.com. Hello, and thank you for joining us for another episode of the Open World Podcast. I am super excited tonight because I'm joined by Dave Chesson, and he's an expert at Kindle Publishing. He's the owner of Kindlepreneur.com, and uh, he's really an expert at helping you to make more sales through self-publishing, choosing the right keywords so that you get more sales, and blogging, content marketing. He grew his blog from... Uh, his blog, Kindlepreneur, to 45,000 monthly visits in just over one year, so I'm going to ask him how he did that. He knows a lot about SEO, especially Amazon SEO, and um, he's also living abroad. He's calling us today from Sri Lanka, so he's quite well-traveled himself. So I really just, I'm really just i really excited to have you here, Dave. Thank you so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you, Danny. It's really good to be here. So perhaps you could tell me, a little, me and the listener a little bit about your backstory. How did you get involved publishing books? and uh, all that. Sure. Well, actually, I really started doing online marketing first. Uh, I started building these niche websites and getting them ranking into Google you know, for particular phrases or terms that people were typing into the internet. But the problem about creating all these websites that were bringing in traffic was that I was, to, I was only making money from Google AdSense, so basically the ability to put Google Ads on my website, and also a couple of affiliate links and things like that. But I was spending so much time creating these websites, you know, that it really wasn't justifying like all the work that I was putting into it. I wasn't making enough money. And that's when I realized, well, you got to create your own product. And with the whole Kindle direct publishing thing, the KDP, uh, where you can self-publish your own book on Amazon, all of a sudden I was like, you know, I just created this whole website on the subject. Why not put it together in a book and see if that works? And when I did that, I found a whole new area. I was now making a lot more money from my niche websites and I was making money from Amazon itself. Okay, but take me back a little bit before that. Um, you were, uh, you've been working in the Navy, right? That's correct. And uh, still am until September 1st, which is is when I'll finally get out and be full-time online. <laughs> so you, how long have you been in the Navy? Has it been 10 years, t- uh, 20 years? In the Navy? 11. Yeah. 11 years, okay. So I, I think you told me that you wrote your first book aboard a warship, I believe. So this was kind of just like a side hobby that you just started doing while you were uh, active duty? Yeah, I got orders that sent me to Korea, but the problem was was that it was without my family. So my wife and kids were kind of stuck back in the United States without me, and I started to kind of look at my life, and I realized that my definition of success did not include being away from my family or you know continuing in a military career. And that's when I said, you know, I got to find something else. More importantly. Something that will allow me to be, you know, with my wife and kids and be that father that's able to drop his kids off at school, you know, those kind of things. Like, I wanted to be a part of that. So I started to really investigate and look into what I could do to be able to create what, what some are calling the exit strategy, right? The ability to get out of what you're doing. And that's when I felt, found online marketing. And, you know, you don't have to just jump right in, you can build it over time. I mean, I started three and a half years ago, 
And I was doing it while I was also, you know, working for the U.S. military in Korea. I was going out to sea on Korean warships. And like you had alluded to, I actually wrote my first book while out to sea on a South Korean warship patrolling the DMZ. So that just goes to show you that you could, you could truly write, you know, or, or learn and grow on the side, no matter where in the world you are or what in the world you are doing. So you're not worried of uh, Kim Il Sung or, or what is his name? Kim jo- not Kim Jong Il. Uh, who's the Kim Jong Un? Kim Jong Un. That's right. Yeah. You're not, you're not worried about him like disrupting your server and stealing your manuscript or something like this. Well, when I was on the uh, <laughs> when I was on the warship, I was just I just took my laptop on board and I was just typing away. Uh, sometimes I found that actually turning off the internet, although it's a great resource, you know, for, for research and things like that, but turning off the internet really helps me to crank out a lot more words. I mean, the greatest killer to any type of creativity and, and momentum is Facebook, right? I mean, you get that bling, you're like, <laughs> hey, look at that, there's my buddy, and all of a sudden, what was I right? What was I, oh, I got to start all over. So, yeah, that that's helps. Yeah, that's a great point. You got to eliminate the distractions, and I know, I remember reading a Time article about this guy, uh, Jonathan Franzen, I think. They called him the great American novelist, and he works on an old laptop, and he actually disconnected the, the Wi-Fi and the internet capabilities from his laptop. You know, he took it to the extreme, but... I find the same thing to be true. Like whenever I'm on a plane or on a train ride or on a bus, you know, like I'm really, I'm really focused. It's really easy to produce and write. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's incredible what you can do when you just sit down and do it. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. So let me ask you, what have you learned and used as a result of your Navy training? Because I know there's some like, uh, I know Tom Morks was in the military. John Lee Dumas was in the military. uh, And these guys went on to create really successful online careers after their after their service was there were there certain characteristics that you took from your time in the navy that has helped you well one of the most important parts to be able being able to kind of grow in this area while also maintaining a normal life is discipline um you know i had to tell myself look you know dave this is an important thing and it's got to take a priority in your life so to be able to fit in building an online you know, website, an online skill set, I had to give up a lot of things. Like I stopped watching TV shows. I stopped watching as many movies as I do. I'm still a sci-fi nerd, so I'll go see the new Star Wars movie or something, but I'm not watching, you know, as many as I used to. I'm also going to bed early and I'm waking up early and I had to set routines Now, that might not sound like much, but if you cut out just, if you were to apply just one hour a day every day, that's seven hours a day or a week, right? That's significant. You can really grow uh, your capability and your skills just from that one tiny little adjustment. And so doing that and sticking to it, I mean, that's, that's the definition of discipline. And with that, you can really accomplish a lot. Yeah, that's a great point. Routines are so important. I think that um, with one hour a day, though, if, if you're like a maker, you know, Paul Graham wrote an article about this. A maker needs maybe like three, four hours of uninterrupted focus to really do the hard work, I think. Because if I'm, if I'm writing for just one hour, I feel like I don't want to interrupt that. You know, like I'll get like maybe 500 words written. But do you, do you think it's better to keep going if, if you're like a, a creator, like if you're a programmer, if you're an author? Um, do, you, do you find that you can still accomplish a lot, which is one hour? You know, it's, 
I agree that it'd be great to have four hours to be able to sit down and devote to one particular task. But the truth of the matter is, is that you know we lead really busy lives. And if you're always waiting for the perfect moment, oh, I can't do it right now because I don't have four hours or I'll do it, you know, this weekend when I do have the four hours, you're going to actually like talk yourself out of doing things. And that's where the discipline kind of comes in. I Sometimes I just have to tell myself, look, I got 30 minutes. Okay, what can I do in 30 minutes? Let me just focus on that and do it, right? So don't, don't, hold back from getting started because you need the perfect settings. Put yourself into it, devote to it, even if it's 30 minutes, even if it's an hour. If it's a good, focused 30 minutes or hour, you'll accomplish a lot. It reminds me of this analogy of just flossing one tooth also. Like if you're writing and, um, you know, when you, if you're trying to take up a habit like flossing, for example, start with just flossing one tooth. You know, if you're a writer, start with just writing 100 words. And like you said, you can accomplish a lot in an hour, but if, if you can do more, you can keep going. Um, and with me, like, it's not, um, it's not so much work that I'm having trouble with, but I'm trying to, because I work a lot at a laptop, I'm trying to do more, like, yoga. I want to do more stretching. I want to have more movement and uh, breathing. Like, I don't breathe enough, so I don't take deep breaths. So I try to just set, like, a set a standard for myself to just do three yoga poses, for example, in the morning when I wake up, before I start my routine just force myself to do three, you know, yoga stretches and do all the breathing, do the stretching. And I find it to be really helpful if I just set like a really low minimum requirement. Yeah, I think half the battle is just getting yourself to 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 begin it, to start it, right? Um, yeah. But I'll, I'll bet you that yoga stance, you know, and everything starts to feel more in line after you've done it a couple of times or after you get yourself started. Yeah, it was such a strange thing, though. When I was in India, um, I was, like, super excited to do yoga, you know? And every morning, like, we'd have free <laughs> yoga uh, at the guest house I stayed at. They would do free yoga every morning. And I was, like, so excited. I'm here in India doing yoga. And, and then I come back to my condo here in Bangkok, and I try to keep, like, these things that I learn and apply them, you know, when I get back to my real life. And then that's when I sometimes have trouble, you know, because I get back into the routine, into the grind and all that. Yeah, absolutely. And routine, you know... The thing is, is that if you can get yourself in the routine of doing that work and growing, um, then you've really found a good uh, a good balance. And with the with online marketing and learning and growing and writing a book, you know, all of that. There were so many times when I started where I was like, ah, I, you know, this isn't. It's I see all these people and they're successful, but I'm not successful yet. I put in a lot of time. You know, those are like terrible thoughts and you should just get rid of them. Get them out of your head and just focus and, you know, again, use discipline and stick to it. You'll find a way. Don't let those nasty negatives, you know, jump in your head and stop you from doing what you need to do. Yeah, that's a great point. So you, you kind of learned a lot about um, discipline, routines. Um, you cut off things that weren't helping to your goals, like watching television. Probably drinking is another one, I imagine. <laughs> yep. Sorry, there's a little bit of background noise here. So I want to I transition a little bit to uh, the blog, because one of the things that really caught my attention was we were chatting on Facebook, and I remember I talked to you about a year ago, and I, I don't remember what we were discussing, but... You were just starting your website, and then you told me a year later, you're like, wow, it's been blowing up. Um, I'm getting you know, more than 45,000 monthly visits to my blog, which is really impressive growth in your first year. Can you tell me about that first year of growth of Kindlepreneur.com, and uh, what, was, what was the biggest factors in your success? What were the biggest factors? 
Well, I'd say there were two factors. One was really identifying what made Kindlepreneur different from other websites about self-publishing or book marketing. You know, I came from a unique background of niche websites and learning about how to understand how algorithms and search engines work. I'm a very numbers and and detail-oriented person, and and I... What I believe is that if I'm trying to learn something, the best type of article is one that gives me actionable steps that I can turn around and do myself and see results that, you know, jive with what the original article was talking about. So when I sat down, I was like, look, you know, I want to create that for Kindlepreneur. I think that gave me a unique feel so that, you know, readers who have read an article like eight months ago, if they come back and read another, they're like, oh, yeah, that's right. That's that Kindlepreneur guy. So branding and understanding who you are in the market, uh, that's really important because if you don't fully understand that yourself, how are your readers ever going to get that? The second thing that really helped me too is is that I've developed a skill, an online skill in search engine optimization. So with Kindlepreneur, I was able to research, go through Google and find out exactly what things are, uh, what things are self-publishers struggling with and Ultimately, what are they typing into Google to try to solve the problem? And this gave me great insight about my target market, uh, learning about the words they use, what are they struggling with, what are some things that I can do to help them. And by doing that and having an SEO background, I was able to get my articles to get out there. And it's just really uh, found a lot of market and brought them to the content. And like we start off with number one is you got to have good content, content that people can understand and relate to. So I think the combination of those two things really helped me go from zero unheard of guy to, you know, 45 to coming up on 60,000 now. That's fantastic. And I know that there's a whole bunch of, like you mentioned, there's a bunch of self-publishing resources, uh, all these, you know, all these things that like, you know, you can buy this course for like $2,000 to be a best-selling author. And it's, it's become a big business, like just teaching people how to publish books. And I remember reading that there was um, there was some article that was called putting my the book was called putting my foot down, and it was like a fake book. It was just like a book of it was like a picture of this guy's foot, and um, he just asked like a few friends to like spend a few dollars on it, and he got like you know bestseller in some category, and he was just like showing people like how easy it was to become a bestseller, and kind of like debunking most of that industry that teaches people how to publish books. But you obviously, like you branded yourself to be a little bit differently. Uh, so I think actually giving real value and over-delivering value is big in your success. And one thing that I really like about what you do is that you kind of win beforehand by doing research. Like you find where the valuable opportunities are, you know, what people really want before you start writing content. Absolutely. And the other thing too with that is that, you know, I don't when I when I sit down to write a Kindlepreneur article that none of it's kind of like, you know, off the top of my head. It's not like, oh, I really feel about talking about this or oh, somebody made me so mad, let me let me write my emotions. Um I'm just a really systematic approach type of guy. And the other thing too is that, you know, I don't have a course, so I'm not coming in there all biased like, hey, here's 70% of what you need to know, but to get the 30%, you got to pay me for it. So it's it's really been a great resource for people to go to and not feel like they got to pay me to get the good stuff. Have you found, um, what are some ways of monetizing your blog that you're looking at as far as getting revenue? 
Well, one of the things that I do is I'll do product reviews. Uh, sometimes I'll have an affiliate link in there to the particular product review. Um, and when they are there, I'm very open and honest about it. Tell you the truth, I, I find that people are more apt to clicking on the link, knowing it's an affiliate link, than, than questioning whether it is or not. I, you know, it's just kind of a mentality. But <laughs> it, it has been, um, that has been one wonderful aspect. The other thing, too, is, is that um, at times, as your blog grows, your ability to create more things grow. Right now, my team and I are working on software that should come out September 1st uh, that kind of does a lot of the processes that I talk about, but it just does it automatically. Um, and where I stay true to myself you know, in writing is, is that when I talk about this process, it's, it's a process of validating your book idea. Um, I start by giving you the free way of doing it. Like, look, here are all the ways you can do all this that the software does for free. But if you want to do it a lot quicker and easier and maybe a little bit more, um, you know, here it is. Okay, so refresh my memory because you've told me this before, but um, how much monthly income would you say your books are making? How many books did you write again? Sorry. So I have eight on the market right now and I make $8,000 a month. Okay, eight books and that, $8,000. And the key thing about that is that I make the same amount for each one of the book, those books every month. Uh, my first book, which makes about $1,300 a month, it made that the first month, and it makes it this month. And I published it three and a half years ago. Okay, that's fantastic. So for everyone out there that says you can't make money with books, uh, Dave has just proved you wrong. Because, and, <laughs> and it's not only the book launch because you just said that you're making – this is sustained income. You know, uh, it's, it's, You said you published a couple of those like a couple of years ago and they're still selling well, right? Absolutely, yeah. I really haven't seen any of my books hit a dip. And a lot of that's because I make sure that there's an audience that wants to read this particular subject – that the audience is willing to pay for such a thing and that the competition isn't so great that I can't beat it. With those three things right there, you'll create a book that's easily discoverable on Amazon. And when that happens, you're getting buyers and you're getting them every month. That's organic traffic. And for some of you guys, you might be saying, well, you, you run Kindlepreneur, you know, you've got a name. And I'm like, well, yeah, but guess what? Every one of those books is under a different pen name. So I'm not using fame. I'm not using a platform. I'm not using a giant email list. I am just creating books that I know the market is looking for. Yeah, and your success comes down to two things as far as I understand it is you research opportunities first and then find the market needs before you write the book. Whereas Absolutely. Whereas most authors will just write about whatever they want to write about and then try to fit it to a market. And that way is a lot harder, let me tell you. <laughs> you got to be like a super awesome marketer to not only find that market that exists out there, but then drag them over to where your book is. That's, that's a lot. I would prefer to say, hey, here is a market sitting right here ready on Amazon wanting to buy. Let me just put it right there. So what do you suggest to uh, someone who's never heard of this before? You know, they're completely clueless. Like, how would they start? Well, the first thing is I would go to Amazon and start looking at what is successful, right? Uh, just get a basic understanding of the difference between a successful book and a not-so-successful book. Look at their covers. Look at the titles they use, how they're, you know, how they're connecting with people. 
The second thing I would do is I would start looking at things like Google Keyword Planner or KW Finder. Uh, those two tools right there are great for helping you to find out exactly what people are typing into Google. Now, you may say to yourself, Dave, that's Google. We're talking about Amazon here and selling books on Amazon. I'm like, yeah, I get it. But Amazon doesn't necessarily tell you what people are typing in and how many people per month are typing that in. But on Google's Keyword Planner or KW Finder, it tells you exactly how many people per month are typing that into Google. So this gives you an idea immediately that there is a market and what words they're using to try to find what they're looking for. What was the second one? You mentioned Google Keyword Planner and... Uh, KW Finder. KW Finder, okay. And you find that those uh, numbers kind of run parallel to what people are searching for on Amazon? Not so much parallel, but definitely proportional. proportional. So okay. if you're kind of looking at two ideas and Google says, hey, 5,000 people a month type, type sentence A in and only 1,000 people a month type sentence B, I, could, I would probably say you're looking at a proportional five times the difference between the two. And I'd, so although it may be different depending on the particular keyword, just understand that that's still a better indication than just guessing off the top of your head. Okay, so let's say that we find one of these keywords that has a high volume of search and perhaps you know something about the topic. Uh, what would you do once you have that keyword? Like how would you research it? Like I, I might go on like, um, I find Reddit to be really great for research. Mm -hmm. How would you do it? So in this case, I would start with initial idea. I'd start plugging it into KW Finder or Keyword Planner. But when you do that, the other thing that Google will do is it will actually give you a list of other words um, that are close to what you typed in, but not exact. And so I'll just start reading through there and seeing if there's any other opportunities, right? You may start with like back pain, but find out there's this thing called a sciatica. <laughs> Maybe I'm mispronouncing that, you know, mm. or you'll find different ways of describing something. You may call it a resume, but you'll find out that a lot of people are typing in curriculum vitae or CV. It just helps you to generate more ideas. Once I've generated a bunch of these, these particular words or phrases, I'll go over to Amazon to see if there's any books on that subject. You could, if you go over to Amazon, you find out that nobody's ever written a book on a particular subject. You could try to see if you just discovered a new topic or a new thing that, you know, that a hungry market has been searching for, but there's been nothing for them to buy. Um, but in truth, I prefer to see that there are a couple of books that have been successful targeting that word, but aren't so competitive that I can't beat them, okay? Um, when I go here, I like to see that the cover's not that great or it looks like they did a Fiverr cover. Let me tell you, I get super excited when I find a juicy keyword that has a Fiverr cover, right? An obvious, you know, makeshift, they threw this and that together and that's it. Um, I also like to look at the title. I mean, is it just totally blasé and generic, you know? Did the person put some thought into it? And same thing with the subtitle. Is the subtitle just a grouping of keywords or is the writer talking with benefits? I mean, there are a lot of style points here. And if you really kind of understand how to market books, you'll know immediately that, yes, I can beat that cover. I could totally beat that, that title and that subtitle. Um, the next thing I like to look at, too, is the book description. Some people just skip over that, but that's a great conversion metric right there. And if the original author didn't put enough time and effort into it, there's an opportunity right there to beat them. 
And another and final point on this too is I like to look at the reviews. I mean, if there's 300 verified five-star reviews, let, let's face it, you got a steep curve to beat, okay? But if you're finding that the average review grade is like 3.3, then what it means is somebody wrote a really crappy book, they targeted a particular keyword, and they're raking a lot of money in uh, because of that. That right there spells pretty high chance of success. And I'll go right into writing that book, beating out the competition, and enjoying the income. So that's great. So there's so many things that you look at when you're, uh, when you're studying the competition, seeing what's already out there. If you see shoddily put together books, it's almost like every, each book that you, uh, each book project that you take on, it's almost like its own little micro business. You know, it has like different pillars to it. It has the book description, it has reviews, it has keywords. Uh, and this is a lot of stuff that most authors overlook, I believe. Absolutely. There are a lot of things where you know, when you jump into it, you either skip over things or you don't understand their value. The perfect, you know, top books don't skip over things. Top books, you know, make sure that they have a unique or a uh, professional cover. They'll make sure that they have, they've done their research on the title and they've kind of figured out ways to ensure that they're moving in the right direction. And, you know, when I'm looking for that area in a market to come in and beat, you know, I love to see it when the authors just skipped over that stuff. Okay. And these covers aren't always like, I know what you're talking about, but I don't think they're always created in Fiverr. Sometimes the author thinks they can do it themselves and then they'll create, you know, some cover in Microsoft Word or something like that with clipart. <laughs> Have you seen oh, that yeah. before? Oh, yes, Absolutely. I've actually seen these books like they'll be on Lulu or something and they're charging like $65 for the book, which is crazy. Uh, but talk about like a reality distortion field. Yeah, there's definitely some really bad ones out there. But getting a good cover doesn't mean that you have to spend hundreds of dollars. One of the things that I like is that if I ever contract somebody to create the book cover for me, even if it's Fiverr, um, the key is to make sure that you give them detailed information so that you know you're going to get the book you want. One of the ways I do this is every time I search on Amazon and I'm looking at books or I'm just shopping in general, if I see a cover that really sticks out in my mind, I'll right-click and save that cover to my desktop so that I can go back and look at it. I've got a whole file of all these covers that I like, whether it's the, a certain font I saw, the colors that they used, or you know, a particular picture that really stuck out of my mind. Um, and when I go to put together my personal cover for my next book, I'll look at all these designs and I'll just kind of pick and choose. And when I go to contract somebody, I'll say, look, hey, I want the title to say this, but I want you to make it look like that. I love this picture. I found a version of it on, you know, Photo Bucket or whatever, whatever photo services out there. Here it is. Make sure to put that over here in the bottom right. Like, I'll give explicit instructions. And that, that way, I know that the cover I'm going to get is the one I want. I mean, I'm not on Fiverr. I'm not paying for their professional artiste to figure out a best-selling cover. I'm just paying them for their skill to put something together. It's you who need to come up with that creative, you know, marketing mentality and a cover that will really capture your audience. And hopefully if you're writing a book on this, you do know what your audience is looking for. 
So just take that time and give them explicit instructions. You'll get a better product out of it. Yeah, that's great. And I like that point you brought up about uh, stealing like an artist, basically. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, Austin Kleon. Yeah. Well, I, I remember reading an article recently by Stephen Pressfield, the author of Do the Work, and uh, he told the story of this art director. I think his name was Zoltan Medbeki. And he was a famous art director, won all these prizes, and he was working together with this copywriter. And um, he had, like, just like you had, like a, a huge file of uh, magazines, photography books, just like you have all of your cover fu- book cover files. And um, the, the, co- the copywriter asked him, what are you doing? And he's like, I'm stealing. And he's like, what, you can't do that. And he just, he, what he did was he found an editorial piece with like this really great layout, which had exactly the look and feel that he wanted. And then he applied that to the advertisement that they were creating. And when they looked at the finished product, like it looked fantastic. But, but just because he had a great product didn't mean that he had to put a lot of work into it which is kind of a, uh, something that most people need to detach from. You know, they think that to have a great product, you really have to work, work really hard on it. There are a lot of really smart people out there, a lot of amazing artists. I don't, I don't aspire to be the greatest artist or anything, but I hope to be able to look at things and say, you know, this guy did that right. Here's something I could do to improve it, or here's how I could apply that to my market. Those are wonderful thoughts. Yeah, that's a great point. So we covered researching, um, you know, seeing what's on the market, looking for keywords. Um, tell me about how you optimize these book pages because I know that I was reading a post on your site where you worked with Alex Barker of the 66-Day Experiment and just by rewording some of the, uh, rewording his book description and his book page, you were able to double his sales, I think. Can you tell me about that? So the way that search engines work and again, Remember that Amazon is a search engine. It's just that it shows you products, right? So you go into Amazon, you type in a particular phrase, and Amazon arranges you know, 14 products in a row to hopefully show you the right one that you'll actually buy it. Well, the same thing goes with books, right? If you go into Amazon and you type in a certain phrase, Amazon will show you particular books, and you hopefully will buy one. So to get your book to show up for this, right, remember we, we did research on a keyword. So now you know what particular words you want to target. You need to convince the Amazon algorithm, known as A9, that your book should show up for a particular phrase. And to do this, there's a couple of ways you can convince it of it. One is when you go to publish your book, you get to choose seven Kindle keywords, okay? Um, so whatever your particular targeted keyword is, put it in there. Another thing is putting it in your title, your subtitle, your description. Um, these are all things where, remember, a search engine is a calculation, right? It's a, it's, a, it's a math equation. It's not a human. It's not in there saying, oh, well, I think they meant this. It just says, oh, look at that. These words are in there. This book must be uh, about this particular phrase, so let's go ahead and put it in the search results, right, if somebody types that in. Now, that's for just convincing the algorithm that you should be there. That doesn't mean that it convinces that that you should be number one. The way that you become number one for a search result, okay, is that you constantly prove to Amazon that when people are typing in that phrase, that they're really looking for your book. That means that they're typing it in, they're finding your book, they're clicking on it, and then they're buying it. The way this search engine wants to work is what makes Amazon more money, right? So if 
your book, say your keyword is how to make more money online. Well, if you have a higher conversion rate than the other books above it, Amazon's going to be like, well, this book should be at the top so we make more money. And so they'll move you to the top. So to reiterate, there are two key parts to the algorithm. One is just convincing it that you should be there. And then the next is convincing it you should be at the top. So it seems like the first part just comes down to reusing those target keywords consistently, the seven target keywords that you mentioned in the description. That's correct. And then the second part is increasing the conversion rate. That's right. What are some of the best ways to... Uh, boost the conversion rate that you've experimented with? Well, one thing I like to do is when I go to launch a book, I will have a couple of people, either people who've been working with me on the book, people who um, are truly target market. And when I launch it, I'll say, well, just go to Amazon, type in this phrase, and you'll find it, click it and buy it. Um, That's an immediate signal to Amazon that, oh, man, this book is really the hot one for this, and they'll just move you up to the top. Um, The key, though, is to make sure that even after you stop doing that, that you're still making more sales than the other ones, right? Uh, Because it's all about what makes Amazon more money. The second thing I like to do is the editorial review section. A lot of people just skip this. If you go into your author central, you can actually put in an editorial review, What I like to do is that I'll find other people in the same subject matter, maybe some popular people. Um, If I'm writing about health, I'll find some, you know, health and fitness instructors and I'll send them a copy. And when they give me a review, I'll put it right in there. There's no better conversion rate than people kind of scrolling down and seeing that someone they recognize or, you know, a big writer for a particular magazine or website likes this book. Um, that right there just convinces people like, okay, okay, this is much better than the other stuff on there that doesn't even have a review. Um, that really works out well. Then the third thing too is making sure that you get more reviews. One tactic I like to do is at the end of the book, what I'll do is I'll have kind of a humanizing statement. Okay, So right before they're done, right before they have that pop-up that says review this book, I'll write something like, Hey, you guys, thank you so much for writing this or for reading this book. Um, I, I'm, I'm trying to improve my craft and hopefully maybe you can leave a review and let me know what you think so that I can be a better writer. I, I'm not lying to them. What I'm trying to do is just remind them that I'm just not some name. I'm a real human being, you know, and that their review means a lot to me. The idea is if they got to the end of the book, then they probably enjoyed it enough. Um, But if they're really mad and they want to leave you a a bad review, then maybe you've softened them a little bit because you've reminded them that you're a real human being. And if they love the book, then this just gives them the extra reminder that, hey, please go leave that review. It'll mean a lot to me and you're kind of going to let me down a little bit if you don't. Kind of put the feet to the fire a little bit. Exactly. And not so much like urgency or anything, just reminding them that you're appreciative, you know, that you're a real happy person, um, not some troll, not some nameless person out there. I know that you also have a guest post on your blog. It's uh, by Alinka Rutkowska. Did I say that mm-hmm. it's, uh, she said it's how to get to over 100 reviews. And she mentioned a bunch of interesting things in that article, like, um, places you can actually submit your book to to get editorial reviews or to get professional reviews. Some of these sites I'm looking at like uh, Reader's Favorite, Library Journal, Forward Reviews. 
I've never even heard of these sites before, but you, have you used them and found them pretty effective? I've only used one of them so far, and I actually tell you the truth, I can't remember the name off the top of my head. Um, but one of the other topics she talks about that I'm a big fan of is that I also like to look to see, uh, looking at my competitors, I'll see if any of the reviewers are an Amazon reviewer who has put their email address in their profile. For all those out there listening that are like, hey, wait, what What was that? Um, If you want, you can always tell Amazon to publish your email address. And there are a lot of people that actually will tell Amazon to do this because they do want to leave reviews. So in this case, I'll look through my competitors and I'll find, hey, here's five people that have left it. And I'll just send them a friendly email saying, hi, you know, my name's so-and-so, and and, um, I see that you reviewed blah, 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 and gave it uh, five stars. Um, Sounds like this is your kind of niche or something that you're really interested in. I'm writing a book on such and such topic. If you're interested, I'd be more than happy to send you a review copy, um, you know, in return for your honest opinion on what you think. Just please make sure that if you do review it, you know, give the disclaimer that this was, um, you know, a free version, you know, Blah, blah, blah. There's a little stipulation that Amazon always says that, hey, if you gave a review copy, make sure they say it in the review. Um, But again, this attracts a lot of interest because these are happy reviewers. You verified that already. And they have left their email address there, which means they want to review. So just reaching out to them gives a pretty good return on, on time investment right there. Okay, so find people who are reviewing other books that are similar to yours. Um, where are some other places that you can look for reviewers I mean, besides your extended network, friends and family? Well, the other thing I like to do is I like to go to forums uh, for that particular pain point. If it's, you know, if I'm, say it's like back pain, I'm sure there are some forums out there about back pain or dealing with back pain. Um, you know, I'll go to like, question answer sites like Quora and see if there's anybody who's typing in a particular question and I'll go through and answer it really well and then just drop in there, hey, by the way, I'm the author of such and such book. If you uh, click this link, it goes into more detail um, and you can find out more to solve your such and such problem. So, I mean, again, there's you could probably write a whole giant thousand page book on how to get the reviews. But again, it's just going out there and actively looking for opportunities, not asking for the review, but providing good quality information and content and then letting people know that, hey, it's here, um, would appreciate a review. That, I think, is the best time where you get a good conversion. Yeah, and if you're scratching your head right now listening to this wondering where the forums might be, um, I've had great success with Reddit. Reddit has subreddits on, uh, subreddits are like groups based on pretty much any topic you can imagine. And when I published my book, uh, Hack Sleep, when I was in a promotion, uh, I found this subreddit, uh, it's called Get Out of Bed, I think. And it's all for people who have all these sleep issues, you know, these pain points that you mentioned. And I was able to build a lot of buzz around the book when, it went, when I was uh, doing my promotion uh, through that group. I think I got like, you know, over 2,000 downloads just from one link that I posted there. One, one cautionary tale I'll give people, though, is, is that with forums or with, um, with Reddit and things, you don't want to just jump in there and start promoting your book. Like, 
you know, as a Reddit user, you really want to get the lay of the landscape um, before you start even doing any promotion, or you may just get roasted uh, by the people on there. Same thing with forums. Good, tight-knit, well-kept forums are very protective of, you know, what people put up there. So yeah. when, I talk, when I talk to book marketers or when I talk to authors, I say, look, the day that you decide you want to write that book is the day you need to start marketing the book. And what I mean is find out where your target market is. So if they're on, forum, you know, on a forum or Reddit, then great. Start going there and just asking questions. Be a part of the community. Read what people are writing. So that way when the time comes that you publish your book, you already have been a part of things. You've been there. You know what's going on. You know the do's and don'ts. And then people will have accepted you into the community so that when you talk about your book, you're actually a natural part of the community, not just somebody who's just, you know, sniping in and dropping a bomb and, you know, exactly. asking for a book and then just leaving. I mean, that, that just infuri- infuriates people. It's so, so, it's so obvious. And these groups are moderated. You know, people will delete self-promotional posts, um, I really like the strategy that works really well is like the jab, 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 hook strategy that Gary Vaynerchuk talks about. Oh, yeah. So if I'm using like Facebook groups, for example, um, I'll write like four or five really helpful comments every time, you know, before I post any link to my blog, for example. Or um, if I'm on Reddit, you know, it might, I might write like nine or ten, you know, comments on other people's posts before I uh, write anything about my own stuff. So that's really important. Um, but one thing I found, though, is, is that whenever you're just like giving away a free book, you're doing like a free promotion with Kindle, it's, it's pretty much the sky's the limit as far as where you can promote your free book. And I've actually gotten really great results. And if you can just come in like a, like in a place, from a place of like, you know, just giving value and saying, you know, hey, I want to help people, uh, you can get my book for free, no catch, I, I find that there's a lot of places that you can actually promote your book that way. On Kindlepreneur, we have an article that actually lists 70-plus different websites that will promote your book for free. Now, how effective they are, um, you know, some are great, some aren't. But the point, though, is a lot of them will actually do that for free. I mean, those are free downloads. Those are free – that's free reach that you're getting. Um, So that's a strategy that I highly recommend. I don't really think it's much skin off your back to do and there are some Fiverr people out there that will actually submit your book to all of those for a certain fee um, but definitely yeah. awesome to know you know look at the numbers of like wow I just got 4,000 downloads on my book that's pretty cool yeah it's great it's like the best business card you know it's like a digital business card and you're getting new readers for your work you can promote um, you can get people in your newsletter you can promote your blog in your book you know you can put a link to your blog they can get more information from you and they really spend time getting to know you because they're reading your book. You know, they're, it's almost like you're, you're talking directly to them through a digital format and building like a relationship with them. So it's perfect that way. Perfect. Yeah. And um, I know that like there's a whole bunch of other places like Reddit we mentioned. There's Facebook groups where you can publish, uh, so you can promote your free book. Um, and Facebook ads. I had great success with Facebook ads doing promotions. I think I was getting like three cents a click to Amazon Kindle when I did uh, a boosted post targeting my, my market on Facebook. And I'll bet that all started by really understanding your market before you started the ads, right? I mean, you know, you had talked about you for your sleep hacking, you had already been listening to the words. And that's really important for getting those click-through rates is using the trigger word, the word that you know people will want to 
want to stop what they're doing and click and then say, I need this book. Exactly. And if they have an urgent need, all the better. But I think, oh, yeah. I think the bare minimum requirement is you have to identify that there actually is a market, that a market actually exists before you do any kind of work. And that's really what blogging taught me. You know, because blogging, you can write one blog post after another, after another, after another. But if you're just publishing to like an empty room, if there's no one reading it, your effort's basically wasted. So before I write any piece of content, I just want to make sure that I have an idea of where I can publish this content, who is going to really like it, who's going to you know, absorb what I'm writing, before I you know, waste my time. I think it's an important lesson. Very important. Yep. Okay, cool. So I think I asked most of the questions I wanted to ask you here. Um, is there anything that you want to add or something that I should ask that I haven't yet that you think is really important? No, I don't think so. I think <laughs> you nailed it. <laughs> Do you have any advice that you'd like to leave uh, aspiring authors or um, I don't know, aspiring bloggers, anyone who's looking to uh, succeed online going forward? One thing I try to tell new book marketers is not to try to do everything. Writing your book is very important. But when you get into the marketing phase of it, don't try to do a little dab of this and a dab of that. All these little tiny attempts in different platforms and different strategies equate to nothing. Um, most of the time, you're just going to be really busy and you're going to feel like you're just spinning your wheels. I think the most effective marketing, especially for somebody who's new, is to focus on a particular platform or strategy and really dig in deep and keep with it until success is found. For me, it was search engine optimization. You were just talking about Facebook ads. There's all these different ways. Just focus on one, drive it hard, become good at that, build a skill in it, and you'll find that your next book and your next book will only grow as your skill grows. Yeah, that's great advice. Avoid the shiny object syndrome that so many of us fall for. Oh, yeah. I've had so many <laughs> friends that are like, oh, my goodness, Dave, this Instagram thing. I'm selling so much books. You got to come over. And I'm like, no, don't touch the cookie. Don't touch the cookie. Just keep focusing. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so there's one question, one more question I wanted to ask you, because um, this is kind of more related to my own strategy. One, I wanted to ask you, what, what is kind of like the ideal price point for your books? Because my strategy is kind of based on the 1,000 true fans model, and the book is kind of like a low-end, self-liquidating lead source. And then I want to like build up like a back-end sales funnel. So I want to keep these readers. I want to keep them as fans. I want to get them to join my list. I want to get them to uh, buy higher-priced products from me. Do you do anything like that? Do you offer like um, back-end sales to your book readers? No, not at the moment. Um, okay. But here's, here's the way I break it down, right? There's this thing called perma-free. For those that don't know, perma-free are books that you permanently make free. And the way you do that is you put it on like Smashwords, you know, so it gets out to like Kobo and Barnes & Noble and they market as free, and then Amazon will be like, oh, okay, well, then it's free, right? I like perma-free when I'm just trying to drive traffic, right? So if I want to drive someone to my niche website or whatever, perma-free is great. However, though, what I've learned is that perma-free is not a very good model for actually converting sales, okay? 
the reason being is, is that um, a vast majority of perma-free downloads never get read. And a lot of that's because people are like, well, it was free, so it's probably not that important. Getting someone to pay like two ninety nine for a book or even just $0.99, uh, cents, they have now invested money into it, which means they believe that your book is worth the money and therefore the time. So you're going to have a much better clientele and you're going to have a much better commitment from them. So for a high, for a upsell, I think that pricing it at 99 or 299 is a good move. Yeah, that's a great point. So many like so many things we download, you know, we we see like oh it's free and then it just sits on our our desktop forever. We never even open it. You know, yeah, whether and- it's a book or a piece of software or I just downloaded some email app that was on offer by AppSumo. And I haven't, oh, okay. even, I haven't even used it yet. I've had it for like a month, you know, and I remember like I got another free deal from AppSumo and I haven't even logged into the website. Yeah, even even paying for it sometimes we don't open it. But, <laughs> you know, again, you got to look at what clientele you just attracted. Free means they're looking for freebies, right? Um, those who invest the money are willing to actually invest into it. Doesn't necessarily mean they're going to do it if they do pay for it. But again, better source. Yeah, people don't value things that they get for free as well. How about the sites? Have you heard of Noise Trade, Dave? Yes. Um, I think Noise Trade is where people can download the book for free, but in return for a, a uh, social they, post. They enter their email address, I believe you can do ah, that, that one. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, I, I saw. I was going to do an article about it, but then I started digging into the um, uh, user agreements and everything, and they were I, I can't remember what, what, what it was, but something kind of like made me hesitate about it. But <laughs> I've, I've seen like my, my buddy uh, Jeff Coins, he had his book on there, so I'm like, all right, well, that's a really smart dude. I'm probably overthinking it, but I haven't gone back to the, to the article since. Okay, because I remember reading an article by Nick Loper, who we've had on this podcast, on his site, Side Hustle Nation, and I think he was saying that he gained 455 new email subscribers in five days through Noise Trade, basically by listing his book there, and he ran a promotion with Noise Trade for, uh, I think it was $150. Nice. Yeah, so that sounds really good on paper, you know, almost... Almost 500 subscribers for just $150. I mean, that's, most people would invest in that, but you're saying that maybe those aren't the best. Uh, maybe they aren't the best subscribers. I don't know. Again, I, I haven't put the time and effort into figuring out noise trade, as you can already tell. So I can't really speak on that, but I can speak okay. on Nick. Nick is a brilliant dude. Um, he's actually a really good buddy of mine. And um, yeah, I do remember reading something about that. He might have been the trigger to get me to actually look at it when I read that too. So. <laughs> But what you're telling me makes perfect sense because if these people are active noise trade users, um, they must be downloading a lot of books for free in exchange for their email address. That's and, true, and a and, and a probably proportion just like of subscribing afterwards. Yeah, and and a proportion of those four or five hundred emails might have been people that were already a part of the side hustle nation email uh, list, but that you know were friends of his that heard about it over there and then finally went and picked it up. Um, there could be some deconfliction in there, but. You know, Nick's got a vast following, um, so not sure what was affected by that. But knowing Nick, it's probably the legit number. He probably did cut out all of the uh, the the extras and things like that. So, 
Yeah, I think I think it was new email subscribers is what he mentioned in his post. So, so yeah, it's it's definitely um, an attractive option. I just wonder if, because I noticed that you know when I give away my audiobook, uh, on my audiobook landing page I have about a forty percent conversion rate, but I also noticed that the uns- nice. unsubscribe rates are also much higher versus the subscribers I get from my blog. You know, that's okay. If if you know. they're just coming there and they just want to grab it, you want them to exit anyways, right? I mean, I don't ever want people to look at my email list and be like, oh, this guy's spamming me again. Delete, delete. I'd prefer you just to hit unsubscribe. And I actually put that in the first uh, email that you get. Like, hey, if you just wanted that free thing, cool. Just hit this button, unsubscribe. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, thank you so much for this uh, for your time, Dave. And for this excellent interview, I mean, you shared so much knowledge with us. And I really want to congratulate you on your success. I mean, $8,000 a month just from Amazon, from eight books, that's, that's pretty enviable. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. And it's what's allowed me to, to stop, you know, doing active duty for the military and finally going home and being with my family. So I think that's a real success. And that's what I'm most happiest about. So it's pretty safe to say that you've replace your job by this point. You're probably making more from your books than you are from the Navy, is that right? Uh, hopefully in a couple of weeks, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the Navy's been good to me. And you're calling us from Sri Lanka today. Why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Uh, so the military sent me out to Sri Lanka after, after Korea, and I work for the U.S. Embassy here. My job in the military is basically military diplomat, um, to shorten it up. So, you know, the next tour if I wasn't getting out I'm sure would be somewhere else like um, you know (laughs) Indonesia or something like that so nothing wrong with Indonesia (laughs) no no but like I said as a guy who who sat down and said you know my definition of success is being home with my family it's um I'm moving in the right path for me yeah well congratulations on your success it's well earned my friend thank you buddy and thank you so much for joining us on this call. If somebody wants to uh, get more goodies from you, what do you recommend? If you go to Kindlepreneur.com's contact me page, um, just go ahead and type me a note there. And to this day, I still answer every one of those emails myself. I don't use one of my VAs for that. Um, hit me up with any questions you have. Be more than happy to help out. And you know, you'll get my undivided attention. And what can people expect on your blog? What are some of your most popular posts or uh, the ones that you find are most useful? Well, I have two free tools that people really enjoy. One of them is the uh, Amazon Kindle bestseller calculator. And what you can do with that is you just take the Amazon bestseller rank of any book, put it into the calculator, and the calculator will tell you how many books per day that person is selling. So it's really good if you want to check the competition and see if they're actually making money or, you know, as a podcast interviewer, if you actually want to check to verify the person's a bestseller or not or is actually selling books. Um, the other thing we have, too, is the Amazon Book Description Generator. So this tool, uh, you can put, you can write your book description in there, and then you can change up the HTML by just clicking these buttons and making it look the way you want. And when you finally have that description looking awesome, just, you know, hit the button that says get the code, copy and paste that into your bookshelf, and then when you publish your book, It'll look exactly like that. Um, otherwise, you have to know how to do CSS and HTML, but we did it for you. All that's completely free. Don't even require a, a social like or share or comment. Just use it whenever you want. Very cool. I'm, I'm excited to play around with this myself. So 
Can you send me the links after this and we'll put those in the show notes to make it easy for people? Will do. Excellent. Thank you so much, Dave. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> no problem. And thank you for having me, Danny.